It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hi, welcome to the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast. I am your host, Carrie. And I am Larissa. Okay, so you want to talk Megan Markle news? Yes, please. I'm just dying. Okay. So Obama had a big party. We're not going into political or whatever of this. I w- what's sad is all these things, were, articles were going on about Obama's 60th on Martha's Vineyard. And all I cared about reading was Meghan and Harry there. And there was articles posted that they were not invited. Mm. Uh, Meghan and Harry are very quick with sending cease and desist letters. But this was a story they were unable to kill. <sighs> So what were your thoughts on the fact that they were not invited? I think the schedulers got together and said, well, it's Megan's 40th. It's Obama's 60th. We just can't, we're just, no, I think that's a, you know what? I don't, I don't think they were ever, I don't think they were either. Obama and is not the type. And for this matter, ex-president, I mean, with the exception of some, he's not into star-studded events necessarily. If you're invited to his birthday, you probably know him personally. And they've probably had some sort of. I mean, no, they had a lot of. No, they had a lot. But don't you think he knows them? I mean, he's he's had interaction with them. Yeah, but he hosted a lot of celebs at the White House. Yeah, stayed at the White House. So I don't. So just take that aspect. I think you know what it is, and what the article said is she thought that they were friends. Harry definitely did. How? How much time have they spent because together? Because of when he was when he was president. Yeah, they did spend Remember, it. they went and saw Prince George in the private apartments, and mm. he did the Invictus Games. So there was more of a relation there. But However, there was never a relationship with Meghan and Harry as a couple. Yeah. Do you know what came out what? though? Where is where the dissension started, and the article the articles alluded to it. They didn't like. And remember when Gail King? I think it was Gail King asked. Michelle Obama and she's like well I hope that they can work it out because family's everything Uh or internal I don't think they like them airing the dirty laundry yeah because and they're not going to get in a situation where they're aligning themselves with them versus royal well and it's going to get worse with the book deals because there's more to I mean it seems like the only way he can make money is by just dragging his family into it yeah continuously if there's a if there's even a hint of Oh, I'm going to mention my family. Then there's a book deal or there's a documentary or like any. And by the way, being with the media for so many years as a producer, I would jump on that. I'd be like, you know what? We got to get him to try and get back to, to London for something. I don't care if it's Invictus Games. I don't care whatever it is, because there could be a chance yeah. meeting between his brother. Absolutely. As a producer and editor, you're thinking of that. So I'm not faulting the media. I'm faulting him for jumping on that bandwagon, you know? And I mean, Michelle actually was on video saying like she didn't take the stance of, well, they should never talk to them mm-hmm. again. They're racist. She was just like, well, I hope they can work it out because they're family. Mm-hmm. So and at first I remember her weighing in and being like, oh, but then I like reread her comments mm-hmm. and I took more of a stance that she was actually less agreeing with the actions than. I wonder when you watched Meghan Markle speak out, what went through your mind? Public service. It's a bright, sharp, hot spotlight. And most people don't understand it, nor should they. The thing that I always keep in mind is that none of this is about us in public service. It's about the people that we serve. I always try to push the light back out and focus it on the folks 
that we're actually here to serve. But what about when she talked about the fact that she experienced racism? I mean, I feel like that was heartbreaking to hear that she felt like she was in her own family. You know, her own family thought differently of her. Race is in a new construct in this world for people of color. So it wasn't a complete surprise to hear her, her, her feelings and to have them articulated. I think the thing that I hope for and the thing I think about is that this first and foremost is a family and I pray for forgiveness and healing for them uh, so that they can use this as a teachable moment for us all. So a new chapter is coming out from the Finding Freedoms, you know, yes. the little voice oh, yes, boxes, yes, yes. that every time that something goes yes. on or there's not enough being printed there's about an that. epilogue to that damn book. There's going to be 24 versions of that book. They really debated they were going to actually reveal the name of the racist person and family. But again, that's their truth. And their timeline is so off. It's like, it's kind of not fair if you don't have proof of it because the timelines don't match between the two of them in the interview. So what was it? Was it before the baby came or, or when she was pregnant or was it before the marriage? Because they keep, they said two different versions of it. Yeah. Well, I'm pissed that it's going to be released on August 31st, the 24th anniversary of Princess Diana's death. That's so tacky i'm sorry but that's what they keep doing though like every time they're not in the news or news is revealed about like something going on with the royal family there's scooby-doo out there like giving like sound bites trying to stir the pot again between family members they escape the palace to become hollywood mega producers to the tune of 130 million dollars in deals with spotify and netflix harry and megan's story continues to evolve he should know. Omid Scobie literally wrote the book on their royal breakaway, Finding Freedom. And now they've updated the book for a paperback release after their explosive Oprah interview where they lobbed accusations of racism. I saw that Harry and Meghan considered naming the person who was concerned or had the conversation around Archie's skin. Is that true? Yeah, it's one of the things we discussed in the update to the book was just how Harry and Meghan felt about actually sharing that with the world. A lot has been said about Harry and William's relationship. How is their relationship today? Unfortunately, that distance, that space, and I don't mean physical, between William and Harry remains to this day. What about Harry and Prince Charles? I mean, do they still have a strained relationship? And is that maybe why William and Harry can't come together? Yeah, when we spoke to sources on both sides, it seems like one of the main issues is this sort of inability to see eye to eye. There's still this inability to understand why Harry had to do things in the way that he did. And it's why to this day, Harry's relationship with his father is what sources have said to me, cool. You know, it's not, there's certainly no anger there, but it is definitely, there's some distance. But apparently less frosty with Harry and his grandmother. We hear from sources that Meghan, Harry, Archie, and even Lily have been on Zoom calls with the Queen. And they were saying that that they were quietly relieved that she didn't go to Prince Philip's funeral, which I'm curious to see who were the sources for that. Well, I was quietly relieved, by the way. That was just that was yeah, about Prince Philip dying. And by the way, it's pandemic. She's, you know, heavily pregnant. She doesn't need to be there. There was no reason for her to go. So that's that was a relief to everyone, I think. And I would be I would be nervous too that like anything I'm saying to Harry is going right back to the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, and that there was a perception of them criticizing the queen. Like they don't like her statement that she made that recollections reculate. I can't even say the word very, but that's like any type of family situation. You talk to me or you talk to my mom or you talk to my sister. We all have different variations. We're talking about family. This is not company policy. This is family. So they were criticizing her. But what are your thoughts? The fact that the queen is now employing a legal firm. I think she has to at this point, because it's not one Oprah interview that came out. It just won't end. It's reprinting a book with updates, epilogue, it's new documentaries, it's new book deals. It just does not end with them. You know, Wallace Simpson, they disappeared into the fabric of a wall. And obviously there was no social media, but they just they just left. Sure, he wanted to get back into the family, but it just was like they carried on their own life. These two are not going away anytime soon. I think she has to at some point. She has to protect her family. I mean, look at Alec Baldwin. He's constantly protecting his family with lawsuits. Look at Harry would do the same. I mean, any normal person would would protect their family from lawsuits. And you know, there's more to come out. I don't know what, but there's more to come out. Yeah. So speaking of some of the news in the press, if I can just take us on a quick turn real quick. So I saw a name recently in the news that we have not talked about that I hope eventually we do again. Do you remember the story of General Petraeus, how he was having an extramarital affair with Paula Broadwell and then this socialite, Jill Kelly, made complaints to the FBI that she was getting all these harassing I emails. And then this affair came to light. This. You don't no. remember this? Because she was in page six that she's trying to help Afghan refugees. But she was aligning herself with like all these bigwigs down in Tampa. Oh, wow. Two details on the affair that has brought down the head of the CIA. The decorated and celebrated four-star general David Petraeus, once considered a possible presidential candidate, this all started with an FBI investigation into emails between Petraeus and his biographer, a woman named Paula Broadwell. And so we start this morning with our senior justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, who's in Washington. Pierre, good morning. Good morning, Nan. The, The nation's keeper of secrets was keeping a scandalous one of his own. And just like that, an affair taints a storied military career and life of service to country. The resignation of the CIA director stunned a city not easily shocked. One of the country's most respected and disciplined public officials left office admitting an indiscretion. In a statement to CIA employees, Petraeus acknowledged an affair and what he called extremely poor judgment. Such behavior is unacceptable, the statement said both as a husband and as a leader of an organization such as ours. On Thursday, Petraeus went to the White House to turn in his resignation, the same place he has so frequently been called on to serve. It was a great privilege to serve there with our young men. The affair was discovered by the FBI after concerns about inappropriate emails associated with Petraeus surfaced. The focus of the probe turned to Petraeus' biographer, Paula Broadwell. We would do a lot of interviews on runs. For him, I think it was a good distraction from the war. Petraeus had been the public face of two wars, one of the architects of the successful surge in Iraq, which helped bring the war there to an end. From Iraq to Afghanistan, then a call to head the CIA. Are you ready to come back? Ready for the CIA? Well, I feel very fortunate to have been provided such an opportunity to continue to to serve and to contribute uh, if confirmed. 
As he took over the CIA, Holly, his wife of 37 years, stood by his side as she had done so many times before. The two had met at West Point. She was from a long line of army royalty. Her great-great-grandfather fought in the Civil War. Her own father was a retired four-star general. The president praised the director's dedication and patriotism and said his thoughts and prayers are with Dave and Holly Petraeus, who has done so much to help military families through her own work. Yeah, so I was just curious if you remember her because she's in the I music. I don't album. remember. I did not know he had an affair with her. He did with Paula Broadwell, the journalist who was sending the harassing emails of somebody else. So why was the journalist sending the harassing emails? To Jill Kelly because she thought they were too close for comfort. Petraeus and Kelly? She was jealous. Oh, because... Yes. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's a bombshell. So she's back in the news. She's trying to help the evacuation, which I'm surprised because... At the time, it came to light that she had been kind of too, had too much access to military bigwigs down in Tampa. So that was just kind of an adjacent story. It just kind of reminded me a little bit of the royal family, only because we're talking about like news and conspiracy and all that and money and social life. And then the other story that I thought of you recently is that Tiger Woods' uh, mistress Tiger Woods, it looks like they're going to go after her. Rachel, you got Tiger Woods. She signed a NDA. And she broke that agreement. But you know what? They they got to sue her. You signed an NDA for a reason. And she came. She played her role in that documentary, which leads me to believe there was either there was some monetary compensation, which there shouldn't be. And usually they never do that in documentaries. But I wonder if she just thought by getting her face out there again, she could make money off of. Uh, you know, I've been silent for over a decade now. And I felt that it was really important for me to uh, speak only once uh, in my life because I have spent um, all these years uh, letting people, um, you know, think what they want to think and say what they want to say. And I needed um, to kind of take these shackles off and be able to tell my story for me because um, I have um, really spent years um, under uh, the shame of sort of what's been going on. People can say shame, shame, shame on you and then you can feel your own sense of shame. Which was the more powerful? Which was in your life? Um, Well, (laughs) um, I made a mistake. And that's for me to deal with, right? And that's the shame that I'm going to deal with personally. Um, but, you know, it, it's one thing to then go through a decade of people wanting to shame me. Yeah. And I wanted to set the record on what happened. And, you know, I'm looking forward to this documentary coming out because it really does show that the media took the opportunity to blame me um, for someone else humiliating their wife. And... Um, you know, as you and I have discussed, one moment doesn't define your life. And um, I don't like to be branded as a mistress. I don't like to be branded as a home record. That's not who I am. I'm a 45 year old woman. I made one wrong turn 10 years ago. I didn't make a bad turn. You know, I didn't throw somebody down the stairs. I didn't kill someone. I made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. The whole thing has made my life a living hell for the last 10 years. And I wanted to tell my story on HBO because I wanted people to see what really happened. I was not a mistress and I was in a real relationship and I want people to leave me alone about it. I, I made a bad decision 
and I regret it and I'm embarrassed about it. And, you know, I, um, I, I, my apology is to two people, not the world, two people. And, um, and I wish people would be understanding about it and maybe leave me alone. Yeah. Like what did she do with the money and the payout that she had? I don't know. I don't, well, I mean, well, she had her boutique, Wyatt, mm-hmm. whatever, Wyatt Earp or whatever, <laughs> but she closed that. I know. I can't remember ever the originals yeah. like Marzipan and Wyatt Earp, but I know like, and then now she's having the run in with the whole seeking sugar babies. Yes. But she's still with that guy, right? No, they broke up. So she's seeking another. I mean, at what age yes. do you age out of the seeking arrangements category i know that's what, like that's my She's dilemma i told it. my friends i got one good summer left in me i got one good summer and oh I'm my lucky. God, you're so crazy you've got like a million good summers just milk it <laughs> you know yeah so i got another story of this sister i hope you don't no, mind we took a detour, I, don't but I haven't talked to him forever I so i have wanted to like talk to you about <laughs> these is did you hear about the surgeon the spinal surgeon divorcing his beauty queen wife because she led a secret life as a high-end hooker and she earned seven hundred thousand dollars while they were Where married do you find these i need to be I, I go on the uk daily mail and i do not find this how old is this story yes dr han joe kim settled his divorce from the former beauty queen regina turner According to court documents reviewed by New York Daily News, the surgeon reportedly discovered the ex-Miss Connecticut had been engaging in sex work. This allegedly happened before and during their marriage, which began in 2015. He claims Turner received cash payments from men totaling some $675,000 in cash (gasps) deposits from 2015 to 2021. Wow. That's not a hobby. That's a job. That's a hardcore nine to five job. Wow. Like, and what was her financial situation that she was out there doing that? I Maybe it was just enjoyment. Maybe it was like, hey, I can make money and have fun. You know, like selling Arbonne or something. I can make money and have I'm sorry. Sorry, Arbonne. No, I did not mean <laughs> Arbonne. <laughs> I used to like Arbonne. Um, did you, so uh, bringing it back around. So have you been watching the season of Below Deck? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of beauty queens. What do you think about the beauty queen on there? I have a biology degree. My God, it's a nursing school. But I just never had the money to go. Or like when I did have the money, I had to spend it on like other things. I bought like three cars. I don't know how to explain that. It's just, it just happened. Supposedly her dad paid for her boobs and she's a sugar baby. That's what I've been reading on the Galaxy. Lexi is, is a pr- producer's either best outcome or worst nightmare at the same time. As a human, I don't know if I like her. She did some really bad stuff to Lloyd and all the other. I know she was drunk, but wow, that behavior on any other yacht, she'd be fired. You know that. I mean, it's television. It's it's one of those things that she'll, she probably won't be fired for, but she really was disrespectful. I mean, to the nth degree and everyone was drunk. No one was helping the situation but I think they were just trying to calm her down. And even the day after that, she was just as bad. I just, I don't like her attitude. I don't care who she is. I don't care if she was a beauty queen. I don't like her attitude. I love two of the guys, speaking of, I love the two guys she went after were the sweetest ones. That's what like really bothers me is like, she didn't even go after somebody that would probably pop her one and like put her in her place. She went after the two nicest dudes on the crew. Her sweet baby gentle lord. 
<laughs> and then yesterday, all of a sudden, I get a little message oh. in my pocket. And I was just like, oh, she did it. And he like said my name. And he's just like the nicest. Do-do-do. By the way, like- <laughs> anyone who wants a really good cameo, and I do this to you guys every once in a while, I'll send people cameos just for the heck of it to make their day. But I love Void on Below Deck. Hey, Kerry, it's Lloyd from Below Deck Med. Larissa's asked me to send you this message uh, as I hear you returning from a 10-3 military detail, uh, which I know is great news because then you get to go back to being on the podcast. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that you are the most incredible podcast partner that anyone could ever have. Uh, I've actually just Googled the podcast, um, and it actually looks really good. Um, so I'm going to give it a listen a little bit later on, and I'll send you a message to, to let you know what I think about it. I asked you who you liked, what shows you liked. And I'm like, oh, I got to send Carrie one. She'll love to see his little bright, shining face. He's such a doll. Yeah. I've been watching Family Karma, Shaw's a Sunset, and Below Deck. Those are the only reality ones I've Should watched. I have gotten you Lexi? <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't even know if she's out no. there. She's probably like, hiding uh, the under The other a thing that made right me mad is she kept on saying, I'm too rich for this. I have enough money. Well, then why don't you just leave? I don't understand. Yeah. She wants to be on the other side of the boat. She wants to be upstairs, not downstairs. I think she thought I'll meet a dude and never have to work again on these. Or she might be contractually obligated to stay. But like the chefs, they walk in and out of, I mean, you can quit anytime. Oh, and then the other show I've been watching, I saw... I'm going to start Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm going to start Nine Perfect Strangers. I was watching White Lotus. I love White Lotus. The goal is to disappear behind our masks as pleasant, interchangeable helpers. It's tropical kabuki. Aloha. The happy beer. We're on our honeymoon. You're such valued guests. Welcome to the White Lotus. Are they bigger? Nicole, they're fucking huge. I haven't seen them in a while. It's cancer. Swole balls. Do they biopsy your balls, Doc? I love White Lotus. I'm glad they're doing a second season. Thank God. But I'm so bummed that the manager has been killed. I love that character. I thought he was fabulous. I loved his character. I mean, I loved all the characters. What a cast, by the way. I mean, I think Nine Perfect Strangers is aiming for that same thing. And it's very, uh, it's, it's a mystery to me. Unlike White Lotus was a mystery, but there was a little bit of payoff every episode. This is going to take a while to get the payoff. So I'm hanging in there. It does have an amazing cast, an excellent cast. I was about to say it has like a good cast, Amazing right? cast. I think it's a little bit more, I just want to say a little, the acting's a little bit more over the top than White Lotus was, but. It, yeah. Uh, so with, you know, what happened with White Lotus is that I had a group of friends that came over and uh, we were playing 80s board games of Heartthrob. Music was on and I had White Lotus playing in the background just because it's I love that music. So soothing. Yeah. And you, it just, and the visuals of it and the, the colors of this. So even if you're not interested in the storyline, I want the opening credits as curtains I like the cinematography of the of the lighting. I'm like, you could just have it in the background and it's soothing. No, it's soothing. And I love how they go into the details of the wallpaper. It makes me feel like I'm on an adventure by looking at wallpaper. <laughs> it's not crazy. Yeah. Okay. I know you have some more news. Yeah. So one last thing is I read Andrew McCarthy's book called Brat in the 80s. Yes. Story. I've been wanting to read that. Is it worth it? 
I think he's a very good writer. There wasn't as much juice as I thought. It was more of like a memoir of like growing up, how he got into acting. Uh-huh. He really was not, even though you think of the Brat Pack, he really wasn't friends with any of them. He was kind of the outlier. He wasn't. Part of him was, yeah, he was more like the dudes did not like him. If you remember from, what was the movie he was in? St. Elmo's St. Fire. St. Elmo's Fire, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't even in with them. He was an alcoholic. He drank a lot. And he a lot of times would be nervous and he just kind of be more introverted or standoffish or kind of come across as arrogant or if he was trying to be a method actor. So he really wasn't close even with Molly Ringwald, nothing like that. The night that they had to do the reshoots from the Pretty in Pink because the test audience didn't like the ending mm-hmm. he flew up there was totally hungover he was on a he was doing a vietnam based broadway show and they had to so if you ever watch pretty and pink the ending that's a wig which was a very bad wig oh. he, john cryer was had the flu he wouldn't even he was so hungover he just ignored and didn't even let like john cryer like, lay on the couch oh my god but one of the stories he's talking about is he didn't really have good he didn't have a lot of game with like women he didn't no, he did hook up a stripper during Pretty in Pink. And one of the scenes, there was like too much like glitter left over from her. Wait, stripper. Wait, okay. So she wasn't in, she wasn't an extra or anything. She was a legit stripper. No, no. He was just a stripper he met. He just drank all the time and just would party. Like, Is he on the married Friday. now? But he, yeah. And I think he has a couple of kids, but a lot of the book wasn't the juice you thought it would mm-hmm. be like celebrity gossip. It wasn't anything like that. And he is a very good writer. I guess he wrote some travel books oh, and wow. stuff. So he's very artistic. He definitely owns up to, like, I just probably came across as like a dick a lot. Wow. You know? He just always came off as standoffish to me, but it makes sense. His old roommate in New York City was the inspiration for his weekend at Bernie's. Oh, really? Character. Oh yeah, he knew a guy who's actually like that. Oh, yeah. Funny. He self-sabotaged in a lot of his Wow. Groups. Like he said that, like I would turn down roles. That's crazy. So he was in college and it was Halloween time and he hadn't lost his virginity yet. And he said he lost his virginity that night, sort of on like when he had a party on Halloween. And as things began to find their way, so he hooked up with some girl. He doesn't even know her name at the party. And thankfully, she seemed to know what to do. Soon she was straddling me. As things began to find their way, she abruptly stopped moving and looking down at me asked, are you Asian? Seemed an odd question at this moment. <laughs> um, no, I said. Are you sure? She asked. I don't think so. I answered. Think about it. Andrew McCarthy, are you okay. Asian? She went back to business, but kept looking down at my chest in a strange way. I was beginning to get more uncomfortable than I already had been, which is saying a uh-huh. lot. Then she stopped again. Are you sure you're not Japanese or something? He goes, why do you keep asking me that? I blurted out. Is there something wrong with my... Yeah. D, uh-huh. you know, the D word. word. Yes. My diaphragm. Your, <laughs> yeah. Your C is nice. Yeah. You know, the C word, another word for a chicken mm-hmm. is nice, but you don't have very much body hair and Asians don't have much body hair. So I just thought maybe you were Japanese or Chinese. He goes, I'm pretty sure I'm definitely not. I said, but really, I wasn't sure of anything anymore. He goes, do you want to use some Vaseline? I asked. What? I've heard somewhere that Vaseline, which I had beside my bed for my dry hands was good sex aid. And I wanted to show her that I knew what I was doing. Sure, she replied. We kept out a bit longer. And then the whole thing just sort of stopped before either of us really got anywhere. And she was up and gone. Never to be seen or heard from again. For some time after that, this unfulfilled act was the highlight of my sex life. That? 
It's a highlight. Yes, that was like the. We should have done a reading of that. By the way, we should have. Done <laughs> I know, a like a very dramatic reading. Like she thought he was Asian just because he didn't have body. Maybe he was a swimmer and he yeah. shaved his body hair. You know, she didn't. He said he really did not go through puberty. He said that really? in the book. So he yeah. still hasn't gone through puberty. I don't know if now, but yeah, he was, he was always very self-conscious about his size. You have to like take a stance to overcome that insecurity. You almost have to be out of, out of the water arrogant because you're like, I can't let anyone see my, my downfalls or my, my insecure side. So I just got to be a dick. You know, I always fear that for my kid. If he's super shy, will he just be a dick one day? Cause he's too shy to overcome the shyness. So people will just think it's a beehole. But, you know, you said that you almost wrote this book, almost wrote this book a few times over the years. So why now? Why now is the right time? Well, I, you know, I thought I should probably write it down while I could still remember most of it. But, uh, you know, I think it took me a long time to come to terms with all that that happened in my youth. You know, those are a couple, three, four, five, six years that just sort of altered my life completely. And um, the whole Brat Pack thing was so intense at the time. And I think it took me a good while to kind of come to terms with it and what it really was about, you know, and look under that rock. I kind of ran from my youth very quickly and it's affected everything that's come after it. And yet I'd never looked at it. So, uh, and I think I finally came to terms with what I think the Brad Pack means to me, which is sort of this iconic, affectionate term for a period of time in our youth that a generation sort of uses me as their avatar for their youth, you know, and uh, it took me a while to come to terms with that, I think. He said, in L.A., I participated in a 1980s Hollywood rite of passage by attending a party at the Playboy Mansion. Beautiful young oh women God. mingled while James Caan and a few older comedians smoked cigars. I watched Hef descend the grand staircase smoking his pipe, wearing red silk pajamas, a blonde on each elbow. I wandered around. I wandered out of the Tudor Revival Villa and stumbled into a peacock. Inside the pool grotto, I interrupt a frolicking couple. They did not care. Can I tell you, I just found like four or five of the Playboy invitations. When I worked for E, we, I would get invitations to the parties of the Playboy Mansion. So we would always go and I just found this stack of invites. And like one had Hef with, I think seven, he had seven girlfriends at one time. And the invitation is him on the cover with just like seven blondes in lingerie. Oh. What a weird time. I have done some weird stuff so that was the story of andrew mccarthy i gave you the probably the juiciest the part cliffs of the wow that sex <laughs> scene was definitely that was probably steamier than sarah ferguson's uh a compass for her oh, I, know. <laughs> I know next time we'll do a dramatic reading we of her do book. we need to for sure i still have pushy princess to do <gasps> are you gonna read it are we going to do a dramatic re- reading from it? Well, yeah, I have three books, actually. I have Pushy Princess. I have the lady Colin Campbell. I have her You know, book. I interviewed her. No yes. way. Quiet, Tom Tom. Yeah, we interviewed her for the Princess Diana story. I saw an article about her where she let uh, someone have a rave at her, high, I think, High Grove? No, it's some some, like mini castle she has she would come downstairs and clean the toilets to make it presentable during the rave she wasn't at the rave she was upstairs but she was just come down to clean the toilets i'm like lady color gamble see that she's very eccentric she's a character she's eccentric i always wondered if she was um i yeah. know so and the voice was um it was like a a, a boy in puberty because it would go from low to high 
it's certain when she would yell at the dog, it would be like, quiet, dum, dum. <laughs> but when she was talking, it would be like, <laughs> and then I have the ability to lala, quiet, dum, dum. Well, good afternoon from the human, from me, from Castle Goring on yet another beautiful and sunny, but now starting to feel slightly autumnal afternoon from Castle Goring. Oh, you know what I was reading? Haley Mills. I was reading like inserts and uh, excerpts of her new book oh, coming out. Yes. Remember Pollyanna? So she has a book coming out. She was in Parent Trap. She used to be like my favorite Disney actress. She they lived directly next door to Lord Lucan. Oh, they even did? during the murder and oh everything. She said the wife always wore like the same outfit and was like really dreary, weird. Oh, and would like look between they had a kitchen in the basement and the wife would peek in through the bars into the kitchen when she was down there. Oh my god, that's weird. That's creepy. <laughs> that is creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On that creepy note. Ciao. Darling. The pub was very quiet that night and lying on a bench seat just inside the front door was a lady I now know to be Lady Lucan. She was not being attended by anybody. She was talking, rambling almost, but she had some fairly serious head injuries, which I noticed at the time. Veronica Lucan told Sergeant Baker that the man who had attacked her had been her estranged husband, John, the Earl of Lucan. And as she was going out, she said, and he's murdered our nanny. This was the first reference to the nanny that I had heard from her. Well, I asked her to repeat what she had said. And she said, he's murdered our nanny. Sergeant Baker saw Lady Lucan into an ambulance and then he and another officer made their way along Lower Belgrave Street to number 46. I opened the door and there was light in the house, more from up the stairs than from the level I was on. At the time, we were looking for a person who had assaulted Lady Lucan, most likely her husband. I didn't know what he looked like. I was just looking for any person, any male in that house. The first room I went into was the upstairs living room. I found nothing there. worked our way up through the house and in what was obviously the main bedroom there was a blood-stained towel on the double bed and various traces of blood up the walls as we went. From what we had seen going through the house I suspected that the statement made by Lady Lucan may have been true we may be looking for a body. We continued up to the top of the house where I opened a bedroom door and was greeted by a young lady. I think she was about eight or nine at the time. I don't remember exactly. I had a conversation with her. Father, 
Hi, Francis. Is that your little friend there? Yeah, Tim. Hello, Tim. Is there anyone else in the house, Francis? Yes, my little sister and brother. They're next door. Next door. She was very calm. She was certainly in no distress. Will you do me a favour? Go back to bed and you look after Tim, all right? Make sure he looks after you. I know someone in my office is up in a bit, okay? Okay. All right, I'll see you in a minute. Going back down the stairs, as well as looking for a suspect, which I think I was pretty sure then that there was nobody in the house, we were also looking for a body. We eventually arrived down in the basement. As the two officers reached the bottom of the staircase leading to the basement, they stumbled at last upon the sort of evidence they'd be looking for. A large pool of blood, and beside it a canvas sack, actually a US mailbag. I took out an arm. There was no doubt in my mind that the girl in that bag was not alive. The body doubled up in the mailbag was that of the Lucan children's nanny, 29-year-old Sandra Rivet. In time, Lady Lucan recovered from her wounds. But after that night, her husband vanished into thin air and has not been seen since. Though seven months later, a coroner's jury, solely on the evidence of Lady Lucan and without any cross-examination, was permitted to name him as Sandra Rivet's murderer. What exactly happened at 46 Lower Belgrave Street that night? Did Lord Lucan murder the nanny? Is he still alive, now age 60? And what reasons are there for thinking so? Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, 
accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guests co-host are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue podcast or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.